Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another Buffalo TechCast, where we talk to founders and funders about the startup ecosystem here in Western New York. We'll get to the program in a second, but first, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. This week, we're talking to Tyler Schrote, the CEO of Electronic Gaming Federation, which is a startup company currently operating out of the Algonquin offices in downtown Buffalo. EGF is seeking to build an international network of collegiate gamers. Um, the catchphrase that you'll hear used uh, in relationship to them is the NCAA of esports. The company's raised about $50,000 in seed funds from angel investors in Buffalo while it seeks its first significant seed round, and it's also a finalist for Techstars this summer in New York City. So the following uh, is Tyler talking about his upbringing in Alden, um, his strengths and weaknesses as an entrepreneur and CEO, and his company's potential. In an ideal world, uh, it looks like an international version of the NCAA that's a lot more player-focused. We kind of, we did a really strong analysis of the NCAA, looked at its problems and how we could fix that, and then apply it to an international stage. Um, so while a lot of countries don't have the same type of college system that we do, they do have something that's sort of uh, similar to it. Uh, so we've been looking at how to adapt that um, probably over the next five years, uh, at least into Canada and South America, and then a little bit into uh, Europe and India. You grew up in Alden. Yep. What's it like growing up in Alden? <laughs> uh, compared to the places that I've now visited, like you know New York City and even Rochester and Syracuse, it's been uh, interesting. Uh, it was kind of like a, a farm town that uh, was close to the city. So everyone kind of called themselves a suburb of Buffalo, which it is, but you know, there's more tractors and people there. Uh, so it was kind of one of those situations where everybody knew each other. Everyone, you know, was more likely to stay in town than leave uh, for college. And uh, we saw that kind of play out as I graduated. Um, it was awesome in a lot of different ways. Uh, it definitely made the experience of leaving Alden way more interesting uh, because you get to see a lot more diversity in all sorts of areas, and uh, it certainly made me appreciate the uh, the things that I've encountered since then. When you were growing up in this sort of rural, sort of suburban type setting, um, was there a was there that element, that sort of traditional element of like wanting to get out? Like, did you have big plans at eighteen to like start experiencing things in a different way? Yeah, I actually video games ended up being one of the driving factors behind that because uh, I've played video games since I could literally hold a controller. Uh, and when I got to the age of about 11 uh, is when I built my first computer and started playing uh, online games like Counter-Strike. Um, and at that point, I had started managing teams and competing and, you know, doing all that fun stuff. So I had met people from different places, but, you know, they're all just, you know, anonymous people on the Internet pretty much, which... Looking back, is sort of strange for such a young kid to be playing with, but uh, they kind of gave me a taste of, you know, everything that was outside the world. So while I didn't really know what I was going to be doing at that age, I knew that I wanted to go to college and kind of see what sort of really interesting things I could get involved in. Like I started as a physics major in college. Uh, so a couple of my high school teachers were like, you need to go to RIT or you need to go to like Clarkson, uh, go get into the science world and you'll end up, you know, pretty much anywhere. So it uh, definitely kind of created that springboard effect of like, once I had a taste of it, I really wanted to, you know, go see what else was out there. Okay. Before we jump to college, uh, tell me what was the first video game that really, that you were sort of immersed in? Uh, there were two, uh, Mega Man and Super Mario. So I've been a Nintendo fanboy pretty much my entire life and continue to be to this day. 
Uh, and those were the first video games that uh, my older brother and sister wouldn't let me play. So I had to watch starting. And then when I finally got to, you know, have a chance with a controller, I literally couldn't put it down forever. That's interesting. Those games were kind of like passe in most circles by the time you were old enough to hold a controller, weren't they? Uh, in some cases, yeah. I think I started on Super Mario 2 or 3. Uh, and so those sort of, it was kind of like a retroactive thing because like, the third or fourth video game that I had ended up being Pong. So, like, technically, that was before my generation, you know, even existed. So it, it was really interesting to me to go back and kind of find, like, the origin of video games. Uh, so I got to play a lot of the games that we now look as look at as sort of the uh, the foundation of esports and how video games exist today. You got into RIT. RIT has uh, fairly – you attended RIT. Mm-hmm. It has fairly high um, – you know, standards for getting into it, uh, yep. admission standards. Uh, were you surprised that you got in? What do you, on the strength of what did just general grades, tests, um, extracurriculars? I actually was pretty surprised that I got into RIT only because uh, I had forgotten that I had applied initially. Uh, my first choices ended up being uh, University of Pittsburgh and Clarkson and Drexel were kind of like my top three. Uh, and RIT was something that like I hadn't visited yet. I hadn't really done the due diligence that you're supposed to as a college kid. Um, and I got an acceptance letter and they have accepted students and things like that. And I was very surprised at that uh, because up until that point, I'd forgotten. Uh, from what I was told, one of my high school teachers actually like pushed through since he was a physics major there. And that was what I was going for. Uh, so I ended up going there, falling in love with the campus way more than any of the other schools that I visited. So uh, it's where I found my home, and I honestly am so very thankful that uh, that ended up being the case. Did you get into the other schools? Yep. Did you? Um, how did so you liked it at RIT? Yep. Okay. Not everybody likes the actual experience at RIT. It's um, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of guys there, and yeah, a lot of like really competitive intellectually and academically, right? Yeah, it's a cutthroat environment. It's not like it is, especially when I went there before they transitioned uh, from quarters to semesters. <laughs> Everything was relentlessly fast. Like you had no time to screw up, and once you uh, fell behind, like you were kind of doomed for that semester or for that quarter at the time. So it, it was definitely something that kind of put me in the mindset of what it takes to be in a startup, for instance, because. You have to balance literally everything all the time and people have super high expectations of you. And as soon as you start to fall behind, like there are definitely people that pay attention and try to help out, but your classmates and sticks and people tend to uh, leave you behind. Ultimately, you got a four year degree and a, a master's degree all sort of in the same shot. Yeah, uh, they have what's called the four plus one program. So initially I went with the intent of it being a four plus one, but then I also decided to work full time while I was doing that. So it became a four plus two. Uh, but in the end, yeah, I ended up with my MBA and a degree in finance and international business. You grad- when, How old were you when you graduated with all that? Uh, 23, two, 23. Were you a good student? I like to think so. <laughs> Well, did you get good grades? Yeah. Uh, I finished, I think, with like a 3.5, uh, something in that area. Um, I spent the latter half of my experience mostly focused on uh, my fraternity. I got involved in student conduct, res life, uh, kind of a bunch of extracurricular stuff. So um, I think by the time I graduated, school was almost sort of like uh, a secondary thing. Uh, it was still really important to me, but a lot of the times what I was learning in the classroom, I was directly applying to something I was doing in life. Uh, so like when I f- started my first company is when I 
started taking business classes uh, over physics classes. And so I would be able to say like, all right, well, this is something in organizational behavior or management or whatever. And now I can go put this into the company I'm building. Was there a difference in aptitude when you moved out of that thing? You're talking, you, the, what I'm getting from this and from previous conversations from you is you have sort of a natural aptitude for the science Mm. sort of disciplines, right? I mean, you're good at like the technically oriented things, but you're also, you're a businessman now. Your you're, um, you're sort of whole professional pathway has been towards building your own business, which is much more on the uh, business side of things than it is the tech side of things. Just mm. academically though, were there, were there different strengths and weaknesses or were you just sort of generally good at all of it? Um, I would say I always strove to be pretty good at all of it. Um, I struggle with subjects that didn't interest me I think was kind of the biggest thing because like when you ended up in like gen ed classes like chemistry or whatever which didn't really apply to uh, what I was doing I put in enough effort that I passed and got like a you know a b plus or something but it wasn't one of my favorites so I didn't put a ton of it, uh, interest into it when I got into things like finance which is kind of like where I found my happiest stuff that was when I was getting you know straight A's and things like that Okay, so we left out a part of the story here. You were you said you were about twenty three when you graduated, yep. and you had an MBA and a bachelor's degree, yep. um, and you had a startup company because yep. you founded EGF while you were in college. Yep. Tell me, give me the uh, genesis story of Electronic Gaming Federation. Uh, so when I was a sophomore in college, I started Enrage Panda Boarding Company, and that was a longboard manufacturing company, and it was just something that kind of happened accidentally. Because uh, I got into, I saw the movie uh, Yes Man, and it sort of like put me in this mode of like I have to try everything and just see whatever. Because I'm in college, right? Uh, so I met a kid that knew how to build longboards, and I had was like, well, we should be selling these because you know there are a ton of kids doing this. So that ended up kind of being my first uh, shot at being an entrepreneur. Um, and then after a while, we kind of figured out that unless we had huge manufacturing facilities or outsourced it, which was really against our mentality at the time, we weren't ever going to make a ton of money off of it. Uh, we probably weren't going to be able to sustain ourselves. So at that point, um, esports had started to pick up again. Um, it had kind of hit this lull in uh, between like 2010 and 2013 because there were a lot of really awful events that happened in esports. And by that, I mean like production value and leagues and things that just effectively killed a lot of the enthusiasm around it. Uh, but then when League of Legends started up again, it became significantly more popular. Everything kind of uh, started to catch my attention again. So while I'd been playing video games the whole time, I wasn't doing it competitively. Uh, and I had been talking with a couple of my friends about, you know, what was going on and said, well, the professional scene is starting to grow. Why isn't this happening in colleges? So kind of combined with my experience in higher education and a bunch of my people, a bunch of my friends that were people that had the uh, the experience in sort of skill sets that I needed from like a tech and design marketing standpoint, uh, we just started at it and uh, the we were just doing it for fun, essentially, and kind of like a brain exercise because we were all in business class. Um, and at the suggestion of one of my business professors, we started entering uh, pitch and business plan competitions uh, and we won all of them. So we were like, this could actually be a real thing. Uh, so at the time, it was significantly different from what we ended up being now. Um, at the time, we were trying to build a platform that anyone can compete on, uh, but there are a million of those, so the differentiation wasn't really there. Um, so it's kind of been this evolution of the more we go in, the more we talk to people, the more we understand like the really fine parts of the industry. Uh, we kind of adapted everything to make sure that we existed in a way that uh, worked really well with the environment and was sustainable for us. You uh, you went from an, R an RIT incubator mm -hmm. 
to start fast in Syracuse. Yep. And then you were really embraced by the people uh, at Algonquin yep. in Buffalo, which is where you operate right now. It's actually where we're talking right now, the, yep. the headquarters of Algonquin in downtown Buffalo. Yeah. Um, t- tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your impression of coming back to Buffalo after growing up in, in Alden, which is nearby, but, you know, sort of um, se- separated from what's happening, you know, here. Like, what what was it like being a young entrepreneur coming back and really plying, you know, your business here? Uh, it was really surprising to me. And I say that because, uh, when I went off to college in 2009, I didn't come back at all, uh, except for, you know, to go back to my parents' house, which was literally just a trip down the 33 from Rochester. So I never actually made it back into the city. Um, so when we got the invites to, you know, come work in the city, we were super excited because Rochester had kind of gave us a mentality of like, we want to be in a city. We want to be around what's going on. Um, and that when we came back, we, the first thing we noticed was everything felt different. Like the energy was a lot more positive and a lot more, uh, forward thinking, I think, uh, cause when we left, there were a lot of issues that were happening. A lot of politics seemed to be kind of going in a different direction than what people wanted. Um, we came back here and we started meeting the people in the startup scene. Everyone's super excited. Everybody's working on things. Uh, I think that was just after the first round of 43 North. So like that was just this huge buzz. Uh, so for us, we felt really optimistic about being in that. And, uh, I think the biggest fear that we had when we left Startfest was that we were going to end up in an environment that, uh, lent itself to us falling into a more lethargic state. Um, and, being here at Algonquin and in Buffalo and kind of around the whole Z80 uh, environment has made sure that we don't fall into that trap, which has been absolutely awesome. What's going on just, uh, I mean, so you've already sort of brought me up to speed on the company, but what's going on with the team right now? What are you all, what are you all doing? We are kind of, we're an interesting combination of both uh, local and remote people. Uh, so we just added another full-time uh, kid from Cornell who's going to come and be our business operations uh, person. So he's going to be doing like a lot of our sales and development, which is something I've had to delegate more and more over time. Let me stop you there. I'm interested. So you can't pay him, right? We can. You can pay him? Yeah. Okay. Uh, through some of our, we've raised a small bridge round uh, and it's putting us into like our whole bigger round that we've been working on for the last couple of months. Okay. So it, it, we have enough that we can pay a small team to it. And then the remote team is all contrib- uh, media contributors and community uh, managers. I was going to ask you how you, I, I thought that it was unlikely that you were paying him um, anything substantive and thus probably inequity. Um, is there any piece of that that, you know, he's getting a piece of the company too, or. Yeah, we have a, we started down the whole stock option pool and like figuring out how, like a real corporation or a, a corporation at scale would look. Um, so that's part of it. What we have kind of all committed to is we'll, we'll run as lean as possible or as lean as we need to, to make sure that we have enough runway to make a shot at what we've been doing. Cause the unfortunate thing about being in the collegiate space is that it tends to move a little slower than the rest of the world. Um, so we've kind of been in one of those situations where it's often like a hurry up and wait scenario. Um, so like for instance, tomorrow I have a thing that came up uh, that was supposed to happen three weeks from now, but it's tomorrow. So there's a lot of situations that kind of happen like that. So the whole, uh, funding thing, the whole bringing on new people to help us with all sorts of different parts has been a really interesting, uh, logistics exercise, uh, where sometimes we use contractors, sometimes we have full-time employees, or sometimes we just have volunteers that are so, uh, committed to the idea that they'll donate their time to make sure that whatever it is works. 
what kind of how do you approach your job as a CEO? Um, what what is it that you do for the company, and what do you think you do well, and what do you think you need to work on? Um, I've tried to turn myself into more of a conductor because from the science and operations background that I have and finance, it's all been like very analytics and data focused. And um, as a result of that, some of our early mentors had said I looked more like the CTO than the CEO, um, which is kind of funny because I don't have a coding background or anything. Um, so over the last two years, when we really got into like the uh, potential for much larger investment and dealing with that whole thing, um, I forced myself to practice to be a much better salesperson and a much better delegator because uh, previously I would try to do everything and that does not lend itself to scale very well. So at this point, I've kind of transitioned to the point where I'm much better at directing than I am at uh, micromanaging. So th I think there are still moments where I probably jump in where I could trust someone else to do it because um, it's still my baby and I'm still transitioning to uh, the much larger group of people that we now work with. Um, so I'm still figuring that part. How does that. one become a good director? What, uh, what do you have to, you know, so, so this is what you do. Yeah. This is what you've decided is your role. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you do it well? Cause of course the opposite is, is not doing it well. Like what are the markers of, you know, quality as far as. I'd like you know, to think that it's the, well, first how happy my employees and coworkers and, you know, all the different partners that we have are with our performance, um, in terms of like the timeliness, the efficacy of delivery, um, the end results and what the product looks like or whatever we're trying to deliver. Um, and whether or not the people that were responsible for that felt enabled to do so and had the resources necessary to do that. So in practice, what it ended up being was a lot of documentation a lot of training and a lot of feedback and one-on-ones with people that uh, either came in as volunteers and kind of committed to a much larger role or some other capacity. So it was kind of, uh, going back to the data and analysis thing that I'm used to, where it's like I approached it as essentially a really large scale project. And that project was the transformation of myself. Uh, so trying to figure out what our KPI was, uh, what early flags and indicators for problems would be, um, and how do I take whatever is in my head and translate it into something that someone else can understand and therefore go uh, adapt to whatever their vision is and make sure that we're all moving in the same direction. So it's been probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, just because it's very uh, atypical from what my personality used to be. Uh, but I think over the last two years, I hope anyways, from the feedback that I've gotten, I've gotten much better at it. What's your emotional state? Are you exhilarated? Are you frustrated? I'll stop putting the words in your mouth and just let me tell you, like, what, what are you right now? Uh, I enjoy... I, for myself, am absolutely ecstatic about what I'm doing because I uh, sort of fell in love with the idea of entrepreneurship through blogs and stuff that kind of glamorize the life of an entrepreneur and, you know, all the the fame and fortune that it brings you. What most of those blogs leave out is all the uh, moving back in with your parents and, like, not making any money and, like, living off of basically nothing for potentially, you know, huge periods of time. So <clears throat> um, that still really excites me because it's something that, forces me to think really hard about every decision that I make. Uh, every time that we go out and meet new people, they get excited about what we're doing so that I kind of feed off that energy. Um, from like dealing with the stress and everything, I would say that most people that work for me say I'm pretty level-headed on that, only because if you start to panic, then everybody starts to panic. So like even with a deadline that we're dealing with in you know 12 hours from now, it's not going to be 
an easy road by any means, but it's one of those things where you got to keep at it because things go to hell if you don't, uh, you know, keep that focus. So I like to think that's where I'm at. I know that I love and ex- I'm super excited for everything that's happening in the future and whether or not uh, EGF survives and makes it as big as we want it to be. Uh, I'm just happy for the experience and uh, I know that we're going to do some pretty awesome things. This is Tyler Schrote, the CEO of Electronic Gaming Federation, building an international network of gamers that's going to take over the esports world. Thanks, Tyler, a lot for doing this. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Tyler for participating and to everyone else for listening. Uh, This is Dan Miner again from Buffalo Business First, and we'll talk to you all next week.